0: Hello, everyone. This is Julie Sasson, creator of Giving Voice to Your Story, www.givingavoicetothevoicelessbook.com. And today I have an incredibly special guest. Her name is Gabrielle Seltz, and she's the author of Unstill Life. And here's a little bio about her, and I want to tell you why I really connected with her and why I wanted her on the show so badly. Um, she's a... a very prolific author and been published in the New York Times, Newsday, fiction. She writes regularly on art for the Huffington Post, which I recently checked out. It's pretty cool. Um, she lives in Southampton, New York, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about where to find her. But how I found her was because of her background in growing up in this artist community, uh, subsidized housing in this heart of Greenwich Village called Westbeth, and one of the great things about Westbeth is and she will probably share this with us in the interview is that it's just such an amazing place to grow up in terms of the the whole energy and the artist community and I was recently like doing some poking around on Facebook and um, I noticed that she had talked a little bit about this piece that was published of an event related to 10, um, and the reading would take place in Westbeth, but there was a a whole chapter um, about Westbeth, about this place where I grew up, and I was like, oh my God, like I had never read anything about any relationship to Westbeth at all, so I like immediately clicked on it, and I was hungry for this information, Gabrielle, so you know that (laughs) this was like something so... So important. By the way, welcome to the show. I'm so Thank excited. you, Dorit. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be so, here. I didn't even invite of you. Bad, bad post. Um, so I was really excited and I looked at this and I said, Oh my god, she encapsulated my experiences perfectly, um, because of the seventies and how raw and organic and again I don't want to jumpstart start the, the the beauty of the writing, but it was really an important milestone for me because I had, you know, left West Beth, um, you know, right after high school and joined the Israeli Defense Forces and stayed in Israel for a very long time. And then, like, reading her work about West Beth all of a sudden catapulted me back into this moment in time that I had so clearly wanted to reconnect with. And I'm so glad that I'm reconnecting now with you, Gabrielle. So, again, Thank thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to also say that if you get a chance and you see, um, her on a story slam, you have to catch her on the moth. This is a great story that you gave us. So I'm going to circle back to that YouTube video, um, a really good one. But let's just start with some of the questions that I have for you today because okay. actually I can talk to you about Westbeth until I'm like tomorrow. I know. Well, we'll, we'll get forever. to Westbeth. It's sort of a middle section. <laughs> And it's a but, pivotal uh, section
1: in my book, but it's a, it, it's yeah.
0: It really is, and I have so many questions. Like I can just hang out with you forever. Um, I feel like you're like my soul sister in a way because we both really old Older connect, soul uh, sister. <laughs> older soul sister. Older artist soul sister, and. You know, I, I didn't really know you growing up. I, I'm a little younger than you, as you know. Um, but...
1: I, I think I we had left by the time you were there. Because we left yeah. in 1970, end of 71, I think, or 70, yeah. We were there only a year and a half, the first year and a half it was over. Yeah,
0: yeah, and. So you know all these years have transpired, and you moved and you made huge ripples and waves with your career and Now, looking back, you wrote this memoir and really what what the, what inspired you to get in touch with these memories and you know Westbeth included, and what inspired you to even go down the path of writing a memoir
1: um. Well, I had uh, written autobiographical fiction before starting out, you know, in um, graduate school, but with Unstill Life, which is the name of my memoir, I wanted to open a window on this world that was vanishing, and it was partly inspired by my mother. My mother at the time in 2005, when I, you know, first sort of felt the sparks of writing this book, she had Alzheimer's, and she was suffering from expressive aphasia, which is the inability retrieve language so she couldn't really speak and i was up visiting her actually with my father and i found this box of tapes in her um in her attic she had made these tapes with my dad in the 90s um and they were about their life ringside in the art world and um so i first began to play these tapes because it was my way to access her voice um which was so important to me you know your mother's voice um And so I would listen to the tapes, and it was heartbreaking for me, and I would cry. Um, But then gradually I began to really hear what they were saying. And literally, you know, this whole world, the art world, flooded in the room on the sound of her voice. Um, And then there were other um, elements at play. Um, I had always felt growing up um, in the art world, I was kind of an insider and an outsider, um i was an insider because of my family because my father's position um was a curator the chief curator of painting and sculpture at the Museum of Modern Art and later he started um the Berkeley Art Museum so uh he was a pivotal figure in the art um, world since really the 50s <laughs> um and then i felt like an outsider because i was a child and children you know at least before Westbeth, certainly, but there weren't that many children in the web, in the art world. And we weren't like the main chorus. Art was the main chorus, and, and I write about this in my book. And as children, we were kind of like the side dishes. I mean, we were loved, but, you know, if you are the child of an artist, many times uh, art plays um, a role of like the the more uh, desired sibling in a way. Um, so I wanted to reenter this, this world and claim it as my own um and then the other thing that inspired me to write the book were the art and the artists you know i i uh as you did i grew up in this world full of these larger than life characters and um uh who were creating these amazing things and i wanted to be in a dialogue with them in some fashion um i uh i mean i was you know, the, I sort of worshipped, I guess, these people who were willing to go off into the unknown realms of their imaginations and return with a gift, you know, for us. And I wanted to be that brave and that vulnerable with my own work, um, to bring something into form. Um, so I wanted my um, memoir to sort of reflect that and to engage with art, um, because. Art in my childhood growing up was a character. It was alive as anything in the room. So I think those are the things that really inspired me to write the book.
0: Yeah, yeah. Everything that you're saying is hitting home right now for me, and Mm. I'm getting goosebumps because, you know, New York City is also a larger-than-life place. And, you know, everything there is larger-than-life, but art especially – you. What I'm hearing from you is that your 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 journey or your quest was really to, if I understood it correctly, I think I did, is that you wanted to bring them down to like you know sizable people, you know, not these like larger than life people that um, that only stay in your imagination, but to also dissect it a little bit or to understand it a little bit more and. As you, and I really can appreciate what you're saying. You know, as a child, you like the side dish, and I felt like that, too. Um,
1: right. I think it, a lot of us did. And I talked to other, you know, children of the art world, and it's been really tough. I mean, you know, we, we can all say we came from dysfunctional families, but these were families that were dysfunctional in a very unique way. I mean, it's, it's hard to compete with a work of art, you know? Yeah. Um, but – um, and I think the other thing that I was really interested in doing was making – was in was writing about art in such a way and and these characters in such a way so that they were accessible to a much larger audience Exactly, it can be, yeah yeah, it can be a very rarefied um world and
0: right
1: at the time I had been reading um food memoirs <laughs> mm-hmm. um and uh I always thought, wow, you know wouldn't it be interesting or or um wonderful in a way to write about And I don't really mean this literally, but to write about art in in the way that it's as desirable, as delicious, as somebody who writes about food, as, you know, as available to an audience. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to make art that kind of wonderful and delicious and easy. And um, I mean, it's not easy, but accessible.
0: Yeah, I can really appreciate that analogy um, because it it really, I felt at least, in West Beth, I don't know if you can agree with me, but I felt like the food was more palatable. And once I went to a museum, like the modern art, everything was so, you know, very distant and not as tasty, you know, because they were like glass, um, you know, works of art or high up paintings and like, you know, 20, what? feelings. I, I well, felt it was much more
1: formal. It was a formal right. environment. And we grew right. up in an environment where um, the art was just happening in the hallways and the elevators and, you know, any nook and cranny right. on the roof. Right. Um, right. I, you know, the West Beth Parade, I think, the, I mean, the Halloween Parade in New York, I think, started with, from somebody in West Beth and everybody going on a, on a march around the block. Um, right. So there were these homegrown qualities to the art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also in the 70s, which I think is when you were there, um, that was like the, the decade of, I think, when um, installation art and performance art and happenings were really, you know, I mean, happenings started earlier, but certainly performance art and installation art started to really take a hold. And um, that's the kind of art that as an audience member, you can really be feel a part of because you can step beyond the frame. You can enter into it.
0: Mm, yeah, like street performers, and as you said, the the Halloween parade, Ralph Lee and his right. um, his uh, troupe and um, yeah. team of artists. I I really yeah identify, and that brings up huge memories. So oh, I know. yeah, Halloween at up was wild. <laughs> oh, it's unlike any place on earth. It's it's really hard also to describe, I think, and your book does a great job doing this, um, but to somebody like who didn't grow up in this environment, somebody in like the middle of Kansas or, you know, in Los Angeles or in a big city, right. it's really hard to explain to anyone, really, um, what it was like to grow up in this kind of environment. You yeah. Know, well, you're
1: going to have to take that baton and carry it on because I was only there for really a year and a half, and they were pivotal <laughs> They were pivotal years for me, and they were pivotal years for Westbeth because they were the beginning of Westbeth. But um, uh, so you're going to have to – that's, that's
0: going to be your, your – uh, <laughs> That's going to be my, my next steps, huh? Yeah. You're, I have to live up I'm to I'm passing you. the baton to you. <laughs> oh, love you. Okay. Um, so we're going to move on. I wanted to ask you because, you know – it's not just this, the memoir is not just about Westpeth, although there's a really needy chapter there, and it does ripple over your experiences there to other parts of the story. But, um, you know, it's also, I got a very deep sense that it was also a relationship to growing Mm up, um, and your relationship to your father. And my next question is how is it that writing this memoir has helped you perhaps overcome any fears, doubts or obstacles like as it relates to your relationship because at, you know at one point it becomes a rockyish sort of relationship and you oh, yeah. are tired of growing up in your father's shadow and not being respected or recognized and, you know, but on the other hand, your endearing relationship with him, and you and you still are, and he's still like your ancient dad in this colossal larger-than-life figure. So, you know, tell, share with us a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think, the,
1: um, well, the process helped me understand my parents. I, you know, my mom left behind so much material, including boxes and boxes of letters. People didn't make, my dad traveled a lot for the Museum of Modern Art. Um, this was before West Beth when we were living on Central Park West. And um, she kept every letter he wrote to her. Not only that, she kept every letter she wrote to him. She made carbon copies of all her handwritten letters. So I had this amazing correspondence and her journals. And um, so I could really see their relationship and the push-pull of their love affair uh, when I was going through this material and writing the book. Um, and if you read the book, you understand that their relationship lasted 40 years after their divorce. My, even though my dad was married four more times, he continued this love affair with my mother. Um, but yeah. working through all this material, it um, it helped me understand, you know, her side more, um, that she was, you know, very ambivalent about lo- love and her love for my father. It also helped me step up um, and I mean by that, you know, I, they were two very high achievers. And I was the child of someone famous in that world and someone who sacrificed family life for ambition. And to be a child of that is to feel, I think, less than or not enough. So uh, I think writing the book and claiming the story, um, it helped me say, look, I was there. I was listening. I was there all the time. Um, and it helped me claim my own spot at the table. And I also think that, um, you know, in terms of my mother, um, like her, I'm both a parent and a writer now, um, and I am also divorced. Um, So I have great empathy for what she went through. Uh, And I really understand the difficulty it is to want to have a career in the arts and a life outside the arts. Um, you know, a family life. It's really hard for women, I think, especially, um, to be mothers and to also pursue this. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's hard on family. Uh, so I think that it was, I really, I really identify with the struggles she, she went through. And, um, you know, my relationship with both my parents lasted for a really long time. I mean, my dad's 95, and it's, you know, so, so I've known him i um, 55 I've known him for 55 years and we've gone through so much together and the same was true of my mother she was really sick at the end and and um and so I was really able to move past a lot of my resentments and obstacles and I was lucky to be able to do that um and I think it gave my writing the book certainly since my dad is alive still and he's read it a number of times and he really likes it it gave him a sort of a respect for me um mm-hmm. that I'd at least I didn't feel, you know, he might've had it, but I didn't feel it coming from him.
0: Yeah. 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 And especially if you, if art is the centerpiece of conversation, you know, now that you're an artist and you're published in many genres and many fields, it it comes, it's like a feeling of coming circle, a circle. Yeah. It's so funny. I just had my, uh, my um, yesterday I had this first,
1: published in the new yorker online yeah I and my, that. my dad you know his first comment was i was never in the new yorker
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <clears throat> so he
0: was that felt line. good
1: that really felt good
0: <laughs> it was like yeah He was in all the other museums in the world so that's like these, yeah he's, uh, been, he's he's published like 25 books
1: but uh Right. But but we had this wild experience. I was just in California, and I was doing some readings out there, and I got to read at City Lights, which, you know, if people know bookstores. It's a, it's a landmark bookstore. It's a wonderful place to read. And the San Francisco Chronicle um, ran a page of, you know, not to be missed events. And my event, my dad had just co-curated a show which is great. I mean, at 95, to still be working is truly amazing.
0: But my event was
1: listed above his event. And, but, so, so that also felt good. But what really felt good was that we were on the same page, literally and figuratively, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. His, and I'm
0: so happy for you. I'm really happy for you because I, I, I can understand – you know, because your journeys were so different, and it was. Oh yeah. All parents, I think, from Westbeth, growing up in Westbeth, they were very secluded. Um, but but their art was front and center. But yet, they, there wasn't a lot of sharing going on between the mothers, the parents, and, and the children. I feel like in your book, it's a lot more centered, but yet not. But yet you're uh-huh. still like in this symbiotic sort of relationship, but yet not. But it's closer than what most families experienced, including mine, where you know, art was just what you did, but it wasn't like something that you know you came together full circle with as as you guys did. And I, I really appreciate the intimacy and the closeness and how 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 well it, it worked for both of you. Um, you know, in terms of the the progression, the arts, and how you. You know, put yeah, everything I think, out.
1: I, but that wasn't, you know, my sister didn't have that relationship with oh, okay. with um, my parents. And she did not right. have it, certainly with my father. And I think that okay. I I encouraged it. I was the child who realized, you know, I was a younger child and I realized, well, he doesn't speak my language. He's not going to enter see. into my world as a child. So if, if I want a relationship with him, and I desperately did, then I had to <laughs> figure out a way to enter into his. Now, Uh-oh. maybe I had an inclination inclination to to you know, towards the arts as well. But I certainly um encouraged that relationship with us, that mm-hmm. dialogue, that
0: connection between art. Okay, yeah, yeah, I see that happening now in the book. I just had to kind of refresh my memory. Yeah. 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 And also, you know, it's different. Each daughter I guess plays out a different relationship with her father. You know, it's you know, one person may have more of a as you said, an inclination than and the others so it, it's it's um it's a development um mm-hmm. but but thank you um for for that great answer and yeah. you know when you were writing this you know, I know that we corresponded a little bit about the writing process, but you know, you, you know how writing can change and develop, and what you initially start out writing is not what happens at the end. Mm-hmm. And so, did you ever think that you'd be writing simultaneously about art and your father's and your relationship to your father, or did you think it would be first this and then? Oh, more? I
1: thought. Um, I think when I began the the book, it was more of. Um, you know, a strictly uh, coming-of-age dysfunctional family, father-daughter book. Um, and the art, and then as I was writing the book, the um, art actually was in one scene. The art sort of, like, walked in like a character. Yeah.
0: And I yeah. really, like,
1: looked up and I thought, oh, this is really interesting. <laughs> and I realized how much of a character it really was um, uh-huh. in, in, in our world growing up. Mm-hmm. Um so so yeah that was that that definitely came came uh after I had already begun the process. But I I knew that I was going to write about growing up in the shadow of my father. And I right. knew I wanted to write about how I felt to have someone so central leave and how desperate I was to reenter his wor- world and his life. Mm-hmm. Um so I, you know, in order to do that as I've said before, I I sort of had, to, I you know, I embraced art, and I did that at a really young age. I mean, I was going to galleries with him when I was three years old. Yeah. Um, but his central, central relationship is to art. It's sort of the pipeline to his emotional heart. Um, right. and he even wears on his finger an eyeball, and, the, you know, it's his wedding band. He wears it instead of a wedding band because like, it's his symbol that he's married to art, and the eye represents, wow. you know, the gazer. <laughs> The one who you know assesses and judges with his eyes, and uh so my thought is very like open about that um and then also, my parents were deeply connected to art. My mother had studied art history, and it was sort of a channel through which they they um you know loved the same things and had the same passion,
0: yeah. It's interesting that you said art came up as a character and it's, mm-hmm. it just, it reminds me how reflective and how almost mysterious the writing process is when you think about it. Even right. though that art was so you know, much, as you said, you were attending art galleries since you were three, your father uh, and you, ha- you know, played off the same wavelength. But, you know, it's interesting how, like, when you started to write, you, you said that it was all about, you know, stepping into your, uh, you know, as yourself and um, being your father's shadow, and then the writing comes up, and it's very strong as a reader. Like, I feel like you really played that off really well is the whole relationship. And you give us like a whole palette, a salad bar, or what you say, all these artists that I only had heard about, you know, in passing or at a, a Met you yeah. know, a art exhibit. And all of a sudden, these people have like, as you said, characters and personalities. And it's clear that that comes up really strongly. And I don't know if this is a question or a comment, but I think that, you know, when you're writing, um, it um, it also is it's it also kind of like it's in your subconscious, all of a sudden you're writing about these people that you knew, but through your father, so I guess that's part of your father's shadow, the, the whole relationship to the, the Kooning and um, and Kyle Rosso. and Rosso. and Rosso. these right. people that are giants in their own right, but yet you're trying to figure out what made them giant. You know, you're trying to figure out what made them accessible. You're trying to figure out through the art form what made them appealing to people and to the masses and also to you, you know. So it's really like, uh, you know, it's interesting how you, you really, I can see that happening. Like you're starting out in your father's shadow, but then this, this like monster starts, you know, dro- boiling up inside. It's not a monster, but, you know, this, um this well, this other character, but I had
1: like I had some criteria. I didn't, you know, if the art had to come in. Or in each chapter, there's a piece of art, or uh, it sort of, you know, centers around that. But that had to be very organic um, to to where I was in the book. Um, so I had rules that I set up for, when I realized that was happening, and I realized that was kind of a unique way to structure a memoir, and I really liked it. But the interesting place is that that um that didn't start. In the first chapter, that started with the running fence, with the Christo chapter. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because that was that, in that chapter, you know, I'm moving to California. I'm 17. I'm pursuing my father, literally going across country to be part of his life. And he takes me to see this project, which he was project director of, the running fence, as it's being installed. And in that moment, you know, I—I I, it was such an extraordinary thing to watch this, this you know, fabric light, you know, come come to life. Um, and I had grown up around art, but at that point, I was old enough to appreciate things on my own. And watching the fence come to life, you know, it was for the first time I wanted to be part of the experience of art as an adult as much as I wanted to be in my father's life, you know, and both those wants became truly articulate and melded at that point. And um, I think, you know, and you know this from writing a book, wanting is central to narrative. Without want, you don't have a story. And so having both Mm -hmm. those wants really created the story for me. I Um, love
0: that. That is so
1: powerful. Um, Yeah, and then, you know, and, and your question really made me think a little bit more about this because um, the, you know, my mom always used to say um, artists are permeable people. She even said this to me when I was a little girl. I'm like, what is a permeable person? You know, uh-huh. It seems like something that was like bleeding and not contained. But I think she meant that they were people that you know moved between um, reality and their imaginations. Um, and but they were in some sense boundaryless people. And the fence itself was a permeable boundary. It's was it was like um, a membrane and so the fence sort of to me represents that permeable boundary through which you know art and life passes.
0: Mm, Love it. I'm gonna have to Facebook this quote. (laughs) And listen to this interview again, but what really resonated right now with me is wanting is central to narrative, and it 's i think yeah. it 's wanting as a writer writing right. wanting as a protagonist because the character comes full circle and transforms right so right um, there 's desires, unspoken desires, and here at the end of the memoir, you really do step into your own person and you do transform and and as a story arc you you have to go through. Some of the experiences, boy, I mean, the West Beth experience, you have to tell us a little bit about this, but mm-hmm. I'm so curious about how the West Beth experience kind of paved the way to transformation. But I get the feeling that the real pinnacle happened like when you were out in the West. Yeah, it did. And you but I was... shipped so many times from East to West Coast. I couldn't even count
1: like um, all the yeah. times
0: that you guys moved. But, um, You know I feel like West Beth paved the way to transformation and correct me if I'm wrong but I think like um all of a sudden the Central Park West kind of experience you know the Upper West Side was like all the access to that world and then you know that kind of modern you know its place where all the artists hung out and their families hung out but then Westbeth, West, boy, it was like going in the trenches and then the minute you you know, people you like your 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 sister was like hanging out with the wrong crowd and there were problems and then mm. you go and you go to Illinois, which is like such a different world. And right you know, the only like compromise is to go out to the West, you know, and so tell us about that. Well, um up the, you know, when we were on the Upper West
1: Side, it was definitely more of the uptown museum world, the more successful artists. Right. West Beth was the home for artists. You, you know, you had to make a certain amount of money. You couldn't make too much money. Um, you couldn't be too successful, but you had to be serious. Um, my mother was one of the people who made the decisions about and interviewed the people who were the first tenants of the building and assigned them their apartments. So... Our life there was, you know, we were definitely, um, she was, you know, nicknamed Mrs. West um So that. we sort of, you know, we had the keys to everything at the castle, so to speak. Um, but very quickly, that whole utopian dream had a dark side. Um, and so I explore that in the West Beth chapter. And in that sense, um, I had, you know, I just began to experience it at at that age. I was 13 and I, or actually I think I was about 11 when I moved there, but moved away when I was 13. So I was at the age where you start really experiencing these things and seeing, you know, the other side of the coin, um, in West Beth, when we moved there, uh, there you know everybody thought oh my god it's going to be everything's going to be great from now on i have this you know inexpensive place to live where we can have children and the building was a mob scene of kids uh and celebration and then that changed you know reality came in and the reality was you still had to make a living you still had to pay your bills you didn't necessarily get the shows you wanted you know the bubble burst and the dream was revealed to be a bit of a dream um, I think, uh, the book is very much concerned with like time and culture of the art world during the sixties and seventies. And so like Patti Smith's memoir, just kids, it's about learning to navigate through a world filled with these larger than life personalities. And in West Beth, there was no getting around them. They were everywhere. Um, wow. and also in West Beth, there was no boundary between art and life. It was just all one thing. Um, <laughs> And no. art and death, and art and death. Art and death, yeah. Well, there was and the suicide west I you know, I mean, but she, everybody thinks she was the first suicide. She was the third, um, but, mm. and the third in this very short year time span. Um, yeah. So, uh, and uh, um, I think, you know, I mean, I wasn't the only kid who went up up. Top of the building, and sort of pranced yeah. along the roof and flirted yeah, I did with too. <laughs> with he flirted with I have heard other kids, you know I mean we had access to the roof, and we all were up there right um so it was all around us, and that was a really sort of dark side to explore um and my then again, my mother's desire really at that point to flee back to her mother, her own mother, and to you know to leave Bohemia um and to return to a more uh suburban lifestyle um which was suffocating but probably very good for me <laughs> so
0: yeah it's um, it's it's an it's an intense place to be i think westbeth and even now it's still an intense place well to be, yeah but- it's
1: it's i was you know i was back there as i told you um and it's it's now you know this it's a naturally occurring geriatric community <laughs> yeah um everybody has aged in place they thought there would be more turnover but once you get an apartment like that with a view like that you're never going to leave um so they're all whipping around the building in their motorized wheelchairs um yeah but they're all really really eccentric and you open any door and there's just some wild character inside you know wrapped (laughs) up in their own imagination doing crazy work and um or not crazy sometimes beautiful and intense work uh and uh so, but they're all, very, they're very social, they're very generous people. I, when I was there recently reading, they told me this story of the, this woman who lived upstairs who had dementia and she had no family. And so they have a round robin system set up where she can age in place and stay in the building and they all take turns taking care of her. Um, So it's that um tight a community uh, and they're each other's family. Um, mm-hmm. Which is, again, something I, I found when I was reading Patty Smith's memoir, Just Kids, that, you know, she talks about that art world family that she created in New York. And it was different than the one we were in. But, again, it was that sort of sense of a family, of finding your tribe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, um, I mean, you asked the question about what was my transformation. Yeah. It, yeah. it was. It wasn't there, you know. I mean, I go back to that. It was later on, you know, in California when I found out my father was having um, a relation with my, relationship with my roommate. And uh, and I was devastated that he had, again, like, crossed the boundary. Um, and that he was capable of being that careless or engaging in such a careless act. Um, so, again, it was about the boundaries. Um, and then following that, you know, I was in an accident and I was trapped in his home. Because that's where I had to go to heal. I couldn't walk. And so I um, had to learn to walk again. And while I was lying there and bedridden, I realized two things. That if I stayed in California, I was going to be his audience on some level. I was going to be overshadowed by him. And that, you know, it's also in his nature to block things or to... to. Um, uh, destroy things that grow up and block his view in a way, you know, in in one way or another, he's like a force of nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I realized I had to leave, but I could only do that when I stopped moving, you know, when I was still. Right. Um,
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. Because then I couldn't run away or I couldn't be in pursuit of him. I was just forced to sit there or lie there and see and listen and, then I couldn't see and listen because I wasn't
0: distracted. So is that why you brought uh, the? Ti- that's why. Uh, oh, the title,
1: title still life"? Unstill life. It refers to so many things, which is why I love it. It, re- you know, obviously it's a pun on still life in the art world, and it does definitely refer to the movement and the, the need for stillness. But it also that word unstill was my way of having both my parents in one word, in one title, because my father was the unstill one, the movement one, the one always rushing forward. And my mother was a very contained still figure. Mm -hmm. Um, So with that word, I could encompass both of them. um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted, you know, so that it felt right. You know, when you land on something like that, it feels right.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I see this as like a pivotal title super title (laughs) it's a great one um yeah and and i feel like also when you were lying in in bed i felt like really as a reader i wanted to reach out and hug you but i also Uh knew like not to because if i did something you know something else would happen because it was like not the closure yet you know like it hadn't there's still more to happen Um, a little bit more yeah Yeah. Yeah. But I basically had to drag myself out of there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, because,
1: and that's, you know, and that was always my struggle with somebody like my dad. He's wonderful. He's charismatic. He's the most persistent person I know. And the, you know, appeal is that you never know who's going to show up for dinner. There's always something, somebody fascinating walking in the door. Um, and so to leave, to, um, you know, the art world came through his door and to leave, to separate from him was to risk losing the connection to that world. Yeah. And I had to go and create it myself, but I didn't know I could. Wow. So So, what
0: what ultimately helped you believe that you could, when you moved back to New York on a little apartment?
1: I I, I don't think it was, I didn't think it was even that clear to me. I knew that I just had to go, you know, I knew that I, I, done as much as i could there and i you know and that i was time to go and i needed to be away and i needed to create my own life um and then you know i made mistakes my god there's another book there (laughs) but I, right you know i had some bad marriages and um and uh you know it wasn't it was not just like oh wow you leave and it's all fine and wonderful and it all wraps up it you know it didn't but um um, but it was better, and it was at least it was my life, right? And it was at least they were my mistakes, and I wasn't, you know, dealing with the repercussions of his many divorces or all these people moving in and out of the house or right, know, having three right. sets of steps, and you know they were, it was my chaos.
0: <laughs> so right. I could contend
1: <laughs> with my own chaos, but you know right. it's harder to contend with somebody else's. Right. Um, and then you know you build you build one block at a time you know you build one block at a time
0: yeah. they say
1: you build you build you build the bridge as you cross it
0: yeah and it was also a very you know combustive sort of uh, scenario there was lots of things that he did that you didn't agree with and then you had your opportunity to make your mistakes and I'm wondering if there's like another book in the sequel or in the series because this is like you growing up. And then you, you mentioned your mistakes and then, you know, your own chaos. Is this, like, room for now another book? Well, we'll see.
1: You know, I we'll see where I go. I have some pieces coming up that are um, certainly um, memoir essays, um, but uh, I don't know. You know, I not that many people write more than one memoir. Mary Carr, you know, but but, uh, we'll see, we'll see, Uh, we'll see what an audience can handle. (laughs) Um, So I'll see, you know, there are other things I want to write, and I'm in that weird in-between place, you know, where I'm not sure what's going to stick. You know, where you have lots of yes. ideas, but you're not, you're not sure what's going to really develop and form, and which is an okay place to be. It makes me a little nervous, but it's the right time for me to be in that place. I have a son who's about to spend one more year with me, and he's going to college, and I'm, you know, promoting the book. So I'd be distracted anyway. So, you know, yeah. I'm, trying embrace, I'm trying to embrace this very uncomfortable place. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I hear you loud and clear. Yeah, it's a hard place to to finish something and then not really be certain about what your next thing is. But, you know, I have all these, I have some, you know, ideas and I have things I'm playing with. So, and in the meantime, I'll write short pieces. Yeah,
0: sometimes that's not a bad way to go until you start, you know, building momentum in another area where you feel like that's where you're called to be. Um, I, I can certainly identify with what you're saying because, you know, writing a memoir is such a task in itself. It's like, uh, you know, being a curator of your own museum, um, right. <laughs> uh, making sure that you have inventory and you're, you know, designating the right pieces for the right things and have to go through a lot. And, um, so this is a work of art, this book, and it's, it's a beautiful book. And I, I obviously didn't do it justice by just one reading. I have to read it again Um, because it's just so beautifully written and the seriously, um, the character does transform at the end. And, you know, the um, the whole idea of writing a book seems so daunting when you have this beautiful cover and it's binded so well. And I'm wondering, isn't it a beautiful cover? I love that cover. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. And so, simple like right it's simple but then there's a complex collage on the back I love that I love it I love it they did a great job yeah and uh, you know because covers need to speak the work it has to be really great cover and um you know for somebody who hasn't yet even held their memoir in their hand this is like you're like already like mountains away from where I am right now and so I'm looking Mm -hmm. at you and I'm on the bottom of the mountain, you're already on the top, and you're wondering, well, what other mountain am I going to climb? And, you know, for somebody who's not even there yet, what advice could you perhaps give a person who's either aspiring to write a memoir or in the process of it or close to publishing, you know, what advice could you share with us now that you've already climbed this mountain? Um, Well, I have a few. I would
1: say reach beyond yourself. Learn about other things so that when you do write about yourself, you are also writing about the world. Um, and I would say write, 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 and rewrite like hell, you know, um, and persist. My dad taught me two wonderful things, which is how to look and how to persist. Um, and I think you just have to keep, keep at it because you're going to get a lot of rejections and you're going to, you know, I mean, it's not just an, an easy uphill. Um, yeah. And they're going to be, they're, and they're not even just rejections from the outside world. They're just going to be obstacles that you face in your own process, and you just have to persist. Um, and then I would say read. I read shelves of memoirs. I read shelves of books on writing about writing, and I read shelves and shelves of art history books, essays, fiction. I read plays for structure. You know, I I read everything I could. Um, and then I guess the other thing which Took me a long time to learn was to surround myself with people who believe in my ambitions. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I could write a whole book about surrounding myself with chaotic people, you know, who are just distractions. But really, don't do that. Yeah. Um, So, and then few of us do it alone. You know, we need friends. We need people who will read and comment on our work. I learn from everyone I can. Um, So I have a workshop. I love editors. I love copy editors.
0: <laughs> yeah. Know, I love
1: the, I embrace, you know, I guess embrace the process.
0: I love your answers. They're so right on. I mean, it's hard to hear them because, you know, it's writing is as Well, you, which part is hard for you to hear? I'm interested. I, lo- I love everything that you say. I just think the hardest thing, though, is, you know, when you're, I think, what you talked about earlier, when you're a mother. Um, right. That's like a full-time job, and, I, you know, I right. have a nine-year-old here. And so that is, every time I come back from writing at a coffee shop and I'm writing about Westbeth or I'm writing about being in the Gaza Strip, or come, and I come back and there's like a baby crying, and, and it's like, why can't I just stay in a coffee shop and, you know, this utopian sort of Westbethian sort of ideal, like, I just want to write all day long, <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I found that the days and the times when I went off alone to write, I came back, and it took me a while to realize this, I came back and I was a better parent, because I was satisfied, Yeah, you know, and I wasn't in torment about what I wasn't doing, so I think that's really important to allow yourself to do that and not feel bad about it, you know, as long as your kid is well cared for and... And um, you're there a lot of the time. I was just a more patient parent. I was a more engaged parent. Um, and I learned to sort of move back and forth between that boundary.
0: So yeah.
1: don't yeah. feel bad. Go, go do it and then come back and be, you
0: know, be with your kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not often you hear these, these really comforting words because the- – Outside world is all about outcomes and getting things done and, you know, moving. And New York City is not the same New York City that we, you and I both knew also. Even if this, right. this artist world, the rest of the world took a long time to catch up to that kind of, you know, I don't even know if they, there is a compar- a, yeah, a, but, an equal version.
1: But regarding yeah. the outside world, there are things in, in life that are important and there are things in life that are urgent. And I would advise you to do the things in life that are important mm. first, you know, yeah. which is writing and being with your kid. And answering an email or anything else that seems urgent isn't, right. you know, right. engaging with, right. you know, that's, in, that's not important. Yeah. So doing the yeah. important things first.
0: I love that. Thank you so much. That, that awesome. helps me, me <laughs> confirm the – you know, the what is a distraction and what is really uh, an important God's work, you know, or spiritual work, you know, or creative work. It's creative. It's, it's, it's holy. Um, and you can't get any higher than that. So thank you so much. And, You're Gabriel, welcome. you have to tell us where to find you. Um, there are going to be oh. people here listening to the replay, and I'm, I'm assuming that they want to know where to connect with you more. Um, I have a
1: website, com. Um, And on it, you can find all the information about the book. There's actually a documentary, an eight-minute documentary I made with with my dad about the book and um, that world Um, on the site. um, There's other writing on that site. There's all the events I'm doing on it. There's also ways to purchase the book on it. Um, Obviously, the book's available at Amazon or any bookstore right now. Uh, and then, you know, Facebook, Gabrielle Sells, still on there. I have an author page, um and on Twitter. I'm learning to embrace Twitter. <laughs> Although yeah. it seems like one of those things that are urgent and maybe not important. <laughs> um, exactly. And, um but it's, you know, at Gabrielle Sells. It's all just my name. You know, I don't, I'm not like, I don't like go under handles or anything like that. Um, yeah.
0: So, yeah. And how do you spell your name so that people know? Oh, like
1: D-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E, and the last name, Sells, S as in Sam, E-L-Z is in Zebra. Perfect. So it's usually just one word, Gabrielle Sells. Um, yeah.
0: Right. Then they can just. You know, connect with you there. I'm sure that there are Facebook links, yeah. and they can purchase the book. Or, are you doing workshops or or like um, you know, I you know, I,
1: I have done them out here in Southampton, and um, not doing any right now. May start up in the fall. I'll see. Right now, I'm doing a lot of writing about art, um, and then I'm doing a lot of book touring. So, so yeah. that takes a lot of time, but um, yeah, I have taught, and I I hope to get back to it. It's a good thing for me to balance when I'm when I'm writing, you know, because you can write and then you teach and then you go back and write. But when you're moving around and traveling and promoting,
0: it's hard. Yeah, yeah. There's no consistency there. Well, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Thank you so much. This has been great. I love connecting with authors beyond just the written word, and so you gave us so many things to think about, and the advice that you gave us was gold. So I really appreciate um, where you're coming from, and I will be connecting with you more. And I hope that, you know, when you
1: have another book out,
0: we can connect there.
1: I would love to, and I look forward to your book,
0: too. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, and we'll be back. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.